I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everyone, Michael Lejeune here with you today. I also have Josh Frank with me as my co-host. And as always, we have a great episode lined up for you today. Josh and I are going to be doing something a little special for you. We're getting ready to celebrate our 50th episode. So we thought we'd do a two-part series on the top 20 questions government contractors ask us. And this is whether it's they email us stuff or we're at a conference and people come up. These are the top 20 questions we get asked. So today is going to be part one of that. And this is basically going to be a Q&A session where Josh and I are going to give our two cents on each of these topics. And so if this is your first podcast with us, you may be asking, why should I care about your two cents? So the simple answer is that we've helped our clients win over $2 billion in government contracting. And I don't know where you come from, but where I come from, that's a lot of money. And that's, that's not bragging. That's just how well we know the government market. So take this as expert advice on what you should or shouldn't do to be successful in government contracting because it's not just about the things you should do. Sometimes it's avoiding the common mistakes that other people will tell you you should be doing. And so we want to, we'll kind of go through all those things. So I'm excited about this one today. Josh, do you have anything to add to that before we get started? No, good morning, Mike. Uh, You know, I would say more for the new folks that are coming on board um, that that are, as as you said, uh, put well, uh, have never heard this podcast before. Uh, We have uh, quickly become uh, one of the top uh, podcasts in the nation for government contractors. And so the only shout out that I would give before we we dive into what we're going to cover today would be... Uh, if you listen to our podcast, right, we, we have several hundred folks that nonstop, they are religious listeners uh, to, to Game Changers, that if you're one of those listeners, uh, recommend the podcast to your colleagues and your peers and, and let them know there's there's actually some folks out there that that uh, that are not con artists, that, that know what they're doing and are actually giving good information uh, to uh, both small and large businesses. So just my two cents. Yeah, no, and that's and that's great. I think, you know, a lot of people think podcasts are, are not very valuable. There's one or two nuggets. We, we try to make sure it's it's packed with a lot of really great stuff. Again, this is for the folks that are new. And I, and I think, uh, you know, we're one of the few podcasts that don't pitch our products and services the whole podcast, too. So you, you, <laughs> right. I, I think if you're new, you're going to really enjoy that. Uh, we do have a sponsor for the podcast. I'll talk about that at the very end. But, um, you know, for us, it's about the meat and potatoes that we really want to provide with you guys today. So so let's get started. And 
I'm going to start with, it's probably one of the questions I hate to get asked because I, I, I hate to deflate some people when they ask this, but the first question is, do I need a GSA schedule? You know, what, uh, why don't you give your two cents on that one first? Do I need a GSA schedule? Well, you know, uh, and, and let me start from the back and say over 50% of the companies, right? Uh, whether you're a client, you're a, you're a federal access member, uh, even if I just meet you at a conference, right? Or at some event, uh, 50% of the time, I recommend against it, which you know, is sort of unique in the market because everybody says, you got to have a schedule, got to have a schedule. And it's getting a schedule, Mike, is not based on, on general statements of, well, gee, the, the government buys what you sell, Mary. You know, hey, Bill, look, this, the government buys what you sell. Well, of course they do. Uh, the government's fortune one. Right, they buy everything under the sun. Any product, any service, for the most part, they buy. Yes, there are exceptions, but there's a lot of. Uh, but but you need data to validate, right? And it's a and Mike, it's a very detailed process. You know, uh, there's companies out there. There's a lot of companies, uh, some good, some bad, that do these schedule GSA schedule application services, right? And again, some of them are just con artists. They're going to take your money. You're not going to get much from it. But all of them, first of all, none of them are going to say to you, you know, hey, you know, before you get a GSA schedule, Josh, 50% of all GSA schedule holders fail to sell to the government. You can be sure they don't tell you that, right? Right. There's a lot of research that goes into it, and uh, and we're talking several hours, several hours of looking at the data. Uh, if you happen to be an FA member, Federal Access member, there's a whole you know uh, tutorial on that within within the program. But uh, if you're not an FA member, you're definitely going to need someone to help you. You don't take the word of these companies that only do GSA schedules. Don't take their word for it. Because their focus is, is making money, not helping you. So, uh, and there's a follow-up, Mike, to that, which I often think about. Uh, and when I'm talking to, to various companies, th there's a follow-on question, which is, well, when, when do I get it? So, you know, and, and first of all, if two or more uh, COs, contracting officers, ask if you have one, that's good incentive. Um, or if and or the research clearly shows that the agencies you're targeting use them extensively. And then a, a final point would be, remember, it takes a year to get a schedule. So if you want one, it's a strategic decision because by the time you start the process and get it awarded, a year has gone by. Yeah. And, you know, well, well put there. And, you know, I, what I always tell people is kind of the similar percentages, you know, we actually provide this service to our clients, but we typically don't recommend it. <laughs> so <laughs> so and they're like, you do what you do this, but you don't recommend. No, I don't always recommend it. It's very rare that I recommend it because let's do the research and find out how the government buys what you sell. And mm -hmm. once we figure out how the government buys what you sell, you may look at it and go, wow, they only buy a fraction of what I sell through GSA. Most of it's bought through these other ways that the government uses. And there's there's tons of other you know vehicles for that. And so 
why waste a year? You, you know, you said 12 months. I always tell people expect a year and a half because most people are so slow at filling out the paperwork. It's going to take you six months to fill right. out the paperwork before yeah. you even submitted to GSA. And so I think the record was two years. We had one client that took almost two years to fill out the paperwork, <laughs> you know, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it takes so long to get it. And then you have to process contracts on it and, and, and meet the minimums and all that kind of stuff. It can be a headache if that's not how the government buys what you sell. So really, you know, like you said, doing the data validation that they even buy it that way and making sure that it makes sense. Something simple people can do is call up some of your customers if you have customers already and ask them if they buy via GSA. You know, those are really simple questions. Talk to the small business office. Do those sort of things. Those are simple things you can do. But as you pointed out, don't just take somebody's word for it that you need a GSA schedule, especially, you know, once you're registered in SAM, you're probably getting an email from somebody that says you need a GSA schedule because they've run a report on a NAICS code. And that NAICS code, they're saying, buy that NAICS code. You know, they buy through GSA. And really, all they've done is they've run a report on companies by their primary NAICS code. They've popped your primary NAICS code in the email and they sent the email out. They didn't even validate that the government buys, you know, that NAICS code through GSA. So that's just, just a quick heads up on that one. So I think we've probably beat GSA schedule to death. If you have, <laughs> if you have, if you have, you know, questions about GSA schedules and things like that, let us know because for some companies that are listening today, it could be a very fine line and you may not know what what you need to do so i i think that's that's a really good um, well said start on yeah. that one so so next question here's um where do i find simplified acquisitions because you know that is one of those topics that again it's kind of like uh getting a gsa schedule or getting my socioeconomic status people think oh well i'm a small business so i'm just going to run my business based on simplified acquisition because that money just you know rains down from the heavens all day long so where do i even find these yeah, that's this is uh, misunderstood uh, by many many companies. You know, simplified acquisition. You know, it's 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 under FAR Part Thirteen. It's uh, you know the Federal Acquisition Reg, and uh, it's it sales you know up to one hundred and fifty thousand at least as of the recording uh, of of this podcast. And a lot of companies will will ask us the question, hey. You know, I'm 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 targeting the Department of the Interior. I'm targeting the Department of Commerce, and uh, I know they buy what I sell. And I I'm trying to figure out wh what acquisitions are coming out under simplified acquisition, and that is a failure to understand that simplified acquisition procedures or SAP is simply a uh, it's an acquisition strategy, right? Um, it's not like, it, it, here, let me put it to you this way. It's sort of like GSA schedule. The government has a requirement. The requirement is to procure this product or service. They then decide, hey, is it going to be full and open or will we do a set aside? Uh, you know, and, you know, it's going to be woman owned, small business, 8A, uh, service disabled, what have you. So full and open versus set aside. Another part of the acquisition strategy is, okay, uh, are we going to do it on GSA schedule? Are we going to do it on the OASIS contract? Are we going to do it on the uh, Homeland Security PACS contract? 
So there's the, you know, part of the acquisition strategy is the vehicle, right? Another part of the strategy can be, well, gee, are we going to release it under, uh, you know, standard FAR procedures for competition, or are we going to release it under FAR Part 13 for simplified acquisition? My point is this. You're not going to find some list with any of these agencies or the armed services that say, this is everything we're, we're doing for simplified acquisition. It's simply an acquisition decision, a strategy that that contracting officer in that contracting division for that agency, for that specific opportunity is going to make. So, you know, don't look at, at, at SAP, at, at simplified acquisition as a type of contract. It's an acquisition procedure and that's it. And, uh, and, and if you say, well, Josh, then what do you recommend? I would say research which agencies use simplified acquisition more so than other agencies. And one of the places you can do that is in the federal procurement data system, you know, or FPDS. So hopefully that, that changes, you know, where do I find simplified acquisitions? You talk with contracting officers and ask them, you know, if they use them. And if they do, then you target them, assuming they buy what you sell. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. You know, and the, the hard part for a lot of people is you talk to them, right? You, know, <laughs> you, know, you, you talk to right. them. You know, that, that's, a, that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. If you're new to government contracting, most people are told, go in FBO. I mean, I talked to a woman yesterday who's been in government contracting for 12 years, and I was blown away when she said, the primary place that I find opportunities, and I don't win a lot, those are caveat, I don't win a lot, but the, the primary place I find opportunities is an FBO. Like, well, that's why you don't win a lot. Yeah, it's very well said. And, uh, you know, the way I often say it is, hey, uh, you need to focus on pre-acquisition, right? Whether you're a small, whether you're a startup, small business or mid-tier, you're a large corporation, uh, you know, large system integrator, uh, what have you. The companies that are successful in the federal space, in government sales, <clears throat> excuse me, they focus on pre-acquisition. And so, you know, is there a best way to use FBO? Yes, uh, but focus on, on sources sought and RFIs and draft solicitations because you cannot influence. So the best way to put it is you cannot influence it's hard to influence. It's very difficult to influence opportunities once an RFP or an RFQ is dropped. In order to be successful in the federal space, you want to be, the majority of your time, focused in pre-acquisition, where you can, in fact, influence these opportunities. And so that, that I guess that'd be point one. Um, you know, another one of the common questions we get is, hey, Josh, you know, there's an interested vendor button. Right. Yeah. You know, I can click and say, I'm interested and I laugh <laughs> and then I explain and I go, look, the only companies, right. Never, never say never. Don't always say always, but the majority. Okay. Mm -hmm. The majority of companies that click, yes, I'm an interested vendor. Those are the companies that I know when I see their name on FBO, that they're new to the market or the business developer is new to, to federal government sales because companies that know what they're doing 
and they have they have a teaming strategy. They have uh, they've been reaching out to other companies. They're building relationships. They already know who they're engaging. So the only people, for the most part, the only people that are clicking their interested vendors are folks that I would never reach out to and attempt to team with. <laughs> right. Because the odds are they're not they're they're no more mature than my company. And and, and that's not something that I would want. Okay. Right, right. Um and if I were to, if you were to say, all right, well Josh then other than source of sought and pre-acquisition focus, what else do you use FBO for? And I would say, well use it to identify agency contact information. Right? Mm -hmm. You for you know, let's say you're you're targeting the department, uh, or you're, you're you're targeting health and human services, um, and uh, you're trying to get uh, a sale with uh, Food and Drug Administration (FDA). Well, do a search for for HHS and FDA within FBO, and and you know it doesn't matter whether these opportunities are what you sell. Open each one because at the bottom of every single FBO opportunity is a contract specialist or a contract officer. Well, start looking. How often does, does you know, Missy Smith show up on all these? If she's on 10, 12 different opportunities, she's probably somebody you could call and get, and get some help from and figure out if, you know, who buys what you sell over there and she can help direct you. Right. You know, and I always tell people one of the best uses of FBO is kind of what you're talking about there, but kind of boiling it down to intelligence gathering. You know, that mm -hmm. that's really when it comes to being an owner of a of a business that sells to the government or someone who's in business development or sales or whatever you want to call it. One of your primary jobs is intelligence gathering. I mean, that that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to plug in all these holes all the time to figure out where your next opportunity is going to come from, who you should talk to. If you can't get somebody to pick up the phone, maybe there's somebody else that you need to talk to in order to move that opportunity through the pipeline. It's really so much about intelligence gathering instead of taking these big swings for home runs. And that's, yeah, and that's really what a lot of this mm -hmm. is for. Yeah. And, and let me throw another, uh, another alibi on this topic. Um, one of the one of the discussions that, that we often have with our clients and members is about their pipeline. And I'll look at a pipeline and I'll ask and I'll say, hey, uh, you know, I'm looking at these, uh, you know, 27 opportunities. How many of them did you find in FBO? And there's a good number of companies that say, well, these all came from FBO, right? It's okay to have, even if, even if you find an opportunity in FBO, it's already an acquisition. You couldn't influence it. It's okay to have opportunities on your pipeline that you're going to do proposals on or, or you're going to do bids on. But it should, you know, if you're just starting off, you know, probably 20% of your pipeline should be opportunities not in FBO. And eventually, you know, 50 to 60% of your opportunities that are in your pipeline should have started somewhere else. And then eventually they flow into FedBizOps so that the first time you saw it was not FBO. It was because of discussions and relationships that you're building. Right. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not saying don't bid on stuff on FBO, you know, because I'm saying sources sought and draft solicitations. No, no, you, you want to focus on those as well. 
but you've got to be identifying opportunities before they hit FBO. That's right. my point. Right. Absolutely. And I think you know the common phrase you and I share with people all the time, if the first place you heard about it was FBO, you've probably already lost. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't mean for sure, but the, you know cuz the the common phrase that people throw back at is it looks like it was written for this company. And my right. answer is because it was. Because yep. somebody has been doing the work that you should have been doing all along to get this thing on FBO. So somebody's done the hard work for 6, 12, 18 months and that's why it looks like it was written for that company. And so, you know, that that's a really good point there. The other point there just so I want to make sure people didn't gloss over this is a great use of FBO is it's those sources sought, those RFIs, those things like that. The things that you think you shouldn't reply to because somebody probably will there's a good chance a lot of other contractors are going to think the same thing and not reply. You may be one of two or three people who respond to that RFI or sources saw whatever you want to call it. And that is your opportunity to, to influence that thing that's going to appear as an RFP two, three, four, six months down the road. So, so don't overlook those. Those are probably some of your most valuable things in FBO. Absolutely. The sources saw it in the RFIs. That's your opportunity. And, you know, as you say, we're just kind of beating the dead horse on this one. That's your opportunity to influence the acquisition. And that's what this is about when you're doing business development, sales, whatever you want to call it. So, so, so there's, there's F FBO there. Another important question we always get asked is how do I find who buys what I sell? Yeah, it's, uh, it depends. Uh, you know, if you are, uh, if you sell primarily commodity, if you're a product company versus a service company, uh, there's a couple different systems, but, uh, let's say your product company, let's start there. Uh, dibs is a great place. That's DLA's internet, internet bid board system. Uh, and, and dibs, uh, gosh, they, they sell a ton of product. I mean, tons and tons of product. So if you're a product company and you've only been focused on, on FBO, uh, and you haven't taken a look at dibs, you really, <laughs> really need to qualify dibs. And, and the cool thing about dibs, by the way, is when you look at opportunities, you get to see the last six, 10 times they've purchased that product the number of, of units of each product they purchased, and the price for those products. So, I mean, some great intel if you're a product company. Um, in addition to dibs, you have GSA uh, sales query tool. And, you know, what's interesting, you have to back into that one. Anybody that has a GSA schedule, you can figure out how much they're selling on their schedule, right? And you can identify based on the special item number, the SIN for that specific uh, schedule, what they're selling. And so, you know, you can, you know, find out who buys what I sell. Um, that's not going to necessarily help you with, you know, which agencies are buying, but it sure will help you identify uh, which companies are selling what you sell. Mm -hmm. Probably the two most common are FPDFs, Mike, and, and, and USAspending.gov. Uh, you know, those are the systems that, you know, everybody pretty much uses. And if you have not used FPDFs uh, and, and USA Spending, uh, you really should jump into it. But those are probably the core ones. That, that Really, the core ones would be dibs 
FPDS and, and USA spending. And that's a quick and easy way of figuring out who buys what you sell, how much they buy, and how often they buy it. Yeah, no, great answer there. I think that's probably all people need to know about that. The, the, the only thing I would throw out there in addition to that is if you're not good with the systems, if you're having trouble figuring that out, uh, there are some tutorials online for that. But if you're better with doing this old school and picking up the phone, then pick up the phone and call folks. Call and, and, and talk to the small business office or wherever it may be. Call and talk to them and say, hey, do, do they buy what we sell? Do they use simplified acquisition? Ask a handful of questions. Get bounced around a little bit and just ask. You know, that is a simple way. You'll get told, nope, or we buy from this company or that company. It's amazing how many times if you just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, I'm new to selling to the government or I'm new to selling to Fort Hood and I'm curious if you buy, you know, wrenches and sockets or whatever it is that you sell They'll tell you, yeah, we buy that, and this is who we buy from, or these are the three companies, and you should probably team with those guys, <laughs> or, yeah, and, or whatever. Yeah, and Mike, uh, let me uh, let me add on a parting shot to to this question, <laughs> and, and I think we may end up talking it later as well. We keep talking about these these systems, right? Uh, we're, we're a couple questions in, and already we're talking about these different systems that you can use. I always say. Uh, and and I, when I talk with various companies, do not use these systems as a crutch. They're great for information. They're great for getting you, you know, collecting some intelligence. But none of them replace, as you put it, Mike, picking up the phone, calling people, and talking to them. And it's those companies that solely rely on these tools or even bid match systems, right? Contract management tools, you know, that help you, you know, identify what your opportunities are. Those systems, if all you do is use all these systems, you will never win a contract. You'll never win a contract. So uh, these are all, so I just want to make the point, these are all very important systems, but they do not replace strong sales strategy and execution. Right. Yeah. They, they don't replace picking up the phone, shooting an email, going and seeing people face to face. It doesn't replace that. It just helps it. Yep. So, so yeah, really, really good points there. So, so another question we get, especially from the small business folks is, Hey, I'm a small business. I want to start selling to the government. How long does it take? Uh, it takes 24 hours, Mike. Uh, you can be, you can win your first contract in a single day. Especially if you have a status, right? Especially if you have your, your service disabled or woman owned or ADA. Yeah, it's uh, for everyone, for our listeners, if you can't tell, we're being a little facetious. Yeah, you might not, might not be able to hear the sarcasm, but it's, <laughs> but it's really thick at the moment. You know, I, this is, I did a webinar, uh, Actually, it was just yesterday. I did a webinar yesterday where, you know, I talked about um, you've got to set realistic expectations, right? It's 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 not a question of what you want. It's not a question of the cash flow that your your company has. Uh, it's not a, a, a it's not about you know your desires and 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 it's what it's about is understanding the realistic expectations that it's going to take for you to actually win a contract. And unless you're a product company, Mike, <clears throat> it's like being pregnant. You're either in it full time or you're not. And maybe the only exception would be product sales. But, 
uh, and that's only for some of them. Uh, I would say the average company takes 18 to 24 months. And that's not just to win your first contract. There are a ton of companies out there. It takes 1824 to win the next one or the next one, mm-hmm. right? It, just because there's, there's really not strong business development and relationship practices taking place. Now, uh, I, I said product companies can do it in about a week if they understand the systems and how to leverage the information to validate competitive pricing. If you've got a, if your company is is focused, has really strong uh, or, or decent focused business development activities, that eighteen to twenty four months, you can break it down to about twelve to sixteen, right? About a year. Um, if your company has really strong, really strong business development practices, then you can do it in in six to twelve, six to twelve months. Yeah, I, I I think that's realistic, and you know that doesn't mean you're not going to win, uh, you know, some small contracts. But that first major contract is what a lot of people are looking at. You know, the the multi million dollar, the breakout contract, even a half million dollar. You know, that may be your breakout. It may take you six to twelve months. Doesn't mean you can't win some smaller ones in between there. But, Correct. Uh, but that's that. It's that big breakout contract that I think a lot of people. Are, are really looking at. And so, you know, you, you used the word there, strong practices a couple of times. So let's define for folks that are, that are listening to this. What does, mm. what does that, yeah. what does that strong business development practice <laughs> and, and strong process look like for folks? Yeah, no, that's a uh, good point. Good point. Good follow up. So strong means you're focusing on the value that your products and services provide versus simply focusing on, you know, I sell scanners, I sell uh, cybersecurity software, I sell garden hoses, whatever it may be. Uh, it means you've got a really strong prime and, and subcontracting strategy. Look, uh, at least for our listeners that are smaller businesses, uh, the first three or four contracts that most companies, most co- small companies make uh, in the government are as subcontractors, right? They're not winning a contract with the government they are on a team that wins a contract with the government. Uh, you know, strong also means what you you attend uh, events, local and regional and and national conferences. It means you have a strong understanding of how to write uh, and and template a proposal. Um, but at the end of the day, if you if you you know whether it's you understand your value, you have a strong teaming strategy. You're going to events and you're networking and building relationships, and and your proposal doesn't look like it was put together by my six year old. Then you should be able to win a contract in six to twelve months. Uh, a final little push there, um, especially for our, our federal access members. That's obviously what the program provides are, are those techniques and strategies to make you strong. Uh, for those that are not FA members, uh, either join FA <laughs> or at least take in into account value versus your services, good teaming strategy, go to events and make sure your proposal is a really good template. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would tack on to that. You know, when I first got into business, I remember Every six months, I would look back and go, wow, I was 
dumb six months ago. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, I was so unprofessional. And now we've got it. And then six months later, I'd be like, wow, I was still so dumb six months ago. And, it, and, it, and it's, again, you know, the sarcasm is pretty thick on that. And it was because we were just getting sharper as a business and more mm-hmm. professional. And yeah. so that's what you'll see. And so anything that will make you sharper and more professional, those are the things you want to spend your time and your money investing in and, and working on, but also understanding that life cycle. Because, you know, again, when I first got into business for myself, I was in the commercial space and the life cycle of a sale was something I was not used to because I had come from the government space. In the government space, it's it could be 18 to 24 months. In the commercial space, it could be three days, <laughs> you know, it was so <laughs> right. different. And so understanding the life, uh, the life cycle of the business that you're in is really, really important because as you said, there's some product based companies that could get a sale in three or four days. And there's some service based businesses who are trying to sell something no one's ever heard of before. And it's going to take you time just to even get people to acknowledge this exists. So you really need to understand the life cycle. And, and that comes with maturity for the most part. As you understand that life cycle, you will be a stronger business overall. So I, I think that's really important for people to understand that maturity develops over time. There are things that can accelerate the maturity. And so, yeah, you, well said. Mike. So that, that's, well said. that's a big deal for people. So, so, so saying that, you know, mistakes are often something that accelerate maturity, right? You, you learn from your mistakes, or at least we hope people do. What are some of the most common mistakes that I want to avoid? I would start with saying uh, the, the more common mistakes, uh, from, uh, regardless of business size, uh, we already touched on one, you, know, you need to have accurate expectations. Uh, two, you need to make sure you're, you're hiring salespeople and you're asking the right questions you know, and, 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 and without making people guess on that, Mike. You know, if you're interviewing, uh, again, this came from a webinar that we did yesterday, but if you're interviewing sales folks <clears throat> uh, that, that you're trying to hire on board, your primary focus, primary focus is I, I, figuring out how they move opportunities through the pipeline. Uh, all the other questions are, are almost immaterial. Mm-hmm. You know, so, hey, Mary, how do you move opportunities through the pipeline? And if they have a good answer, odds are you've got a good business developer. If they look at you with, like they're deer in the headlines, right. it's time to move on to the next candidate. Right. You know, so, you know, so that's part of it. Uh, there's so many con artists in the market. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, there's one state, I won't say it out loud, but there's one state where I guess because of business laws, a bunch of them are, are down there. But, uh, you know, these, these con artists, they prey on, on smaller and mid-tier companies. What they do is they, they hit you up on SAM, right? They get your email, uh, and, and it runs the gamut. You know, it is, it is, it is, it, they are consultants, they're product companies that support everything, whether it's bid matching, um, whether it is uh, coaching or consulting, there's just tons of con artists out there. And, th- and there's a lot uh, of folks out there that may not necessarily uh, be trying to con anyone, but they're just not that good at what they do. Right. Right. I, I, I mean, they're, uh, they, they were, they're in between jobs, right? They couldn't find another uh, sales gig somewhere. And so they, they hung up a, a shingle and said, hey, I'm, a, I'm an expert in government. So you really have to do due diligence. Uh, so, you know, what are the most common mistakes? 
most common mistake is just not doing due diligence on whatever it is you're trying to procure. Uh, you know, for example, if you did your due diligence, uh, this is really for the, for the younger companies, you never pay for SAM registration. Never. It's a free service. There, there's no reason to pay anybody for that. Uh, I also believe there is no reason to be paying for teaming services, right? There's companies out there that, you know, we connect companies together. Well, I, I have a problem with that because if you're doing the right business development activities you and you're going right you're you're communicating your value you're going to conferences and events you're using fpds usaspending.gov to identify uh, potential partners if you're doing the right activities in order to properly fill your pipeline and move the opportunities through your pipeline why should why do you need to pay some company to introduce you to other companies? And oh, by the way, there's no targeting there. Uh, who knows what companies are a part of that right. that solution? So now, if you're getting it for free, if the teaming service is free, that's fine. But what happens, Mike, is that a lot of the uh, of these I won't call them unethical, but a lot of companies out there will say, hey, we're going to provide this service for you, right? Maybe it's GSA schedule services. Maybe it's consulting services. And they'll say, and we're going to throw in for free. You know, you get to be a member of this teaming program. And I would say you need to be very careful of that because what they're doing is they're trying to, to pull the wool over your eyes and go, hey, we're pitching you on this, but look at all this free stuff you get. Mm -hmm. It's not our core competency, but it's free. Right. So a common mistake is is joining is paying for something, uh, and 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 not doing due diligence. Uh, don't pay for SAM registration. Obviously, that's that's. I know several companies that do it, and that is outright fraud. I do not care how you explain it. Those companies that is outright fraud. Okay, because they probably don't have anything else better to to sell to the market. Um. You know, most common mistake, I've said it before, I'm beating a dead horse on this one. If you're focusing on your products and services that you sell and not the value that your solutions provide, that's a common mistake. And then finally, I would say, just like hiring a salesperson, hiring a consultant, right? Consultants, uh, for whatever purpose you, you may need them for, you have got to do due diligence. And, and that includes calling uh, references, every single one, checking ripoffreport.com, making sure they haven't been uh, already identified uh, as a problem company. Uh, so anyway, those are some of the common mistakes that jumped to mind. Yeah, no, no, those are really good. And I, I think if you're if you're trying to hire a consultant or a coach or whatever, there's a lot of great ones out there. I mean, we do that stuff for folks, and I, and I think we're great at it. I, I think when you're doing that, in, to me, a red flag is when I see – tens of thousands of dollars per month that's a red flag for me so if, if somebody says it's going to be 15 to twenty five thousand dollars a month that we're charging you <laughs> that's you that's usually a red flag for me um and it and if you know you're looking at that and you can't put your finger on the value that you're going to get that's a red flag another one that i would throw in there that i see a lot of times with people new to the government who are are successful in commercial and are trying to make the switch. So these are companies that have money, they have cash flow, is they're going to go get a lobbyist. They're going to go get mm -hmm. a lobbyist and they're going to drop $75,000 for a meeting 
for a breakfast meeting with somebody so that that person can introduce them to people. And, and there is there good stuff that happens? I'm not going to say there's not, but it's one of those things where you put your eggs in that basket and that's the whole basket and you haven't figured out what your value is. You don't even know who your target customers are. You just think <laughs> I'm going to go pay this guy 75, 100, 150 grand and money's going to rain down from the heavens. And and that happens a lot. Yeah, and and I know we're we're bouncing up against time, but but I'm going to throw out another uh, alibi on this one. You know, the smaller companies, um, the small businesses that that are are religious members, uh, listeners of our uh, uh, of Game Changers. No, they're they're not paying seventy five thousand. But but for our clients that are, are mid tier or, or large corporations, you know, I I often get the question, often get the question, hey, there's this retired three star general. There's this re- retired two star general. This retired uh, senior executive service, you know, SES uh, civilian, and we're thinking of bringing them on board because of the great connections they have. And <laughs> I will remind all these companies that 99% of the time, that's going to fail. They're going to be out a ton of money. So this is this is along the lines of what you were just talking about. Uh, the majority of the time, you are the value is just not there, and you spend so much money. And, and there's more to this. I'll just give one example. You know, let's say it's a uh, two, three-star general, and you're you want to hire them because you want to penetrate and sell to the organization that they just came from. What you don't know is if the new commanding general, right? who used to work for this two or three star that you're looking to hire, what if they hate the, hate his guts or her guts? Mm-hmm. You're out of luck. You're out of luck, right? Now, your consultant, this retired general is not going to tell you, oh, I'm, I'm not liked by these people. You know, I, I, I wasn't very liked. They don't even know. <laughs> and they may not even know. So yeah. there's a lot more to, to hiring a, a retired uh, general officer. But again, it comes back to you got to do your due diligence. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's a common mistake that people make with just saying, wow, this is going to be my silver bullet. And I jump on it faster than they can really think through it. And that's yep. what, that's really what it boils down to. So, yeah, like I said, we're, we're kind of we're starting to run out of time, but I want to hit a couple more questions before we hop off here today. So another one that I hear all the time is, you know, we're a small company and we're not making traction. What do you well, what do you, what's the deal there? <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, if you're not making traction, it is primarily because you're not, you don't understand the value you provide. And I keep coming back to that. And anybody that's listened to Game Changers for any length of time, uh, where at least where I've been on it, uh, knows that it's all about value. So if if you're having a hard time making traction, and you can tell me what you sell, but you can't tell me the value of it, then that is the number one reason you're not making traction. Because if you don't understand your value, Mike, you, you're unable to properly differentiate. Uh, and it also makes sure that you're not begging for work with your teaming partners. So, yeah, no, no, that's a big one. I think we, we can probably leave that one right there. You know, that is, mm-hmm. that's the big deal. It's, you just, if you're not making traction, it boils down to communication. The, the only other thing I would throw out there is um, it boils down to activity. So if you're just hunting things down on FBO, like we said earlier, that's another good reason you're not making traction. But most of the time, it's really about how you communicate value or don't. So that that's a really good one there. So another popular question we get asked 
all the time is, do I need an attorney or can you recommend an attorney um, <laughs> <laughs> for lodging a protest or defending against one? Yeah. Um, in terms of recommending an attorney, yeah, there there are several attorneys uh, that specialize in, in public sector or, or the government space uh, that we have relationships with. Right. Uh, and so if you're a client or, or, or a federal access member, yeah, we, we we're able to make those uh, referrals for you. Um, whether or not you need one, it, it, the answer is yes and no. OK, uh, the good attorneys will tell you it's yes and no. Uh, the attorneys that want your business at, at any cost will say, no, you always, always engage us. And and you should be engaging us uh, before you even need us. We should be, you should have us on retainer. All right. I, I know my lawyer friends, my attorney friends are, are not going to like this. And some of them listen to our, listen to Game Changers. But I am not a firm believer of having an attorney on retainer and having them a part of your process. Now, if you're a large corporation, a system integrator, uh, you know, you know, very large company, you already have attorneys on standby anyway, and that's what they do. Yeah, they're probably it, on staff. Yeah, they're on staff. Yeah, absolutely. If you're mid-tier, you may have some. Small businesses, no. And, and now that may mean you lose some business, okay? Um, there, there, there's, a, there's a trade-off here. There's a risk you know, trade-off. Uh, but in general, I, I don't believe in having an attorney for the smaller companies uh, on retainer. Now, in terms of the yes and no, if it's a size protest or it's a status pro size, you know, it, it was a small business set aside, you know, do they, um, you know, if, if, you're, if the next code, it was less than 500 employees and the company has six, Hundred, well, that'd be a you know that'd be size. Um, you know, uh, status would be you know they're really not service disabled. Uh, they're not certified. They're not really woman owned. Uh, whatever it may be, for those for those, you can protest very easily directly with the contracting officer, with SBA, what have you. You don't need an attorney for that. Now. If it's, uh, if it's a really large opportunity, it really depends, Mike, on how important the opportunity is to your company, how much time you've spent on it. And then, uh, you know, anytime you, uh, you get protested, um, you, you win a contract and then somebody protests <laughs> and the contracting officer says, hold on, uh, it's under protest. You need a you need an attorney because there are some proactive things you must do. Now, if the protest is for a five hundred dollar uh, widget, then I probably wouldn't pay for an attorney to protest. Right. If it's a, a, a you know seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar contract and you want it, and and all of a sudden now you may lose it. Hey, isn't five thousand uh, dollars worth having an attorney help you protect that contract? Yeah, you know? absolutely. So. And I, I so think anyway. that's a good risk reward right there too of looking at, you know, if we did protest this and we won and we had to pay the lawyer fees, would we still make money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's that's a great way to look at it right there too. Yeah, so. and, and one final one one final point on this, um, just to go down the rabbit hole a little bit further. There's three protest levels, right? You've got the agency, you've got GAO, and you've got the Court of Federal Claims. You can do your own, obviously, at the agency level, 
right? You send an email to the contracting officer, I protest, right? That's one. Uh, GAO, you can do your own protest with GAO. You know, depending on the complexity, you may or may not want an attorney, but you can do it on your own. Uh, court, uh, U.S. Court of Federal Claims, you absolutely get an attorney, mm-hmm. period. No absolutely. no question asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the only thing I would, you know, give as a parting shot on that one is one of the things I would recommend, you know, not necessarily having someone on retainer, I would recommend if you're out at a conference or you think that this could be something yes. that you need to do, yes. meet some folks proactively so that you have some names you can call instead Absolutely. of at the last, mm-hmm. you know, the 11th hour after the protest has come down and your back's against the wall. Meet some folks now when you don't need them. So you have two or three names you can call and say, oh, yeah, I met you at this conference and I like this person. Great that, point. That way you yeah. have those names and you can call them because that person that you like may not be available in the 11th hour that you need them. And you may need a couple of different names. And, and you don't want to have to make a desperation choice of, well, I just got this recommendation. I got to hire them because, you know, the clock is counting down and, you know, I need them to file all my work tomorrow. <laughs> you know, you, you, right. don't, you don't want that back up against the wall. So that's just a proactive step. Shouldn't cost you a dime to do that. So, so let's wrap up this segment here with this final question here. I think this is something a lot of people are very curious about. Can I find the pricing for my competition, my competitors that are out there? Can I look up their pricing? Cause a lot of people think, Hey, everything is so competitive on pricing. I want to be competitive. How do I even know if I'm competitive? Can I find that stuff somewhere? Yeah. You know, it, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, you know, finding pricing for the competition is as simple as understanding what systems are available in the market, right? Uh, you know, for, for all of our listeners that already are familiar with dibs and schedules and uh, FPDS, uh, <clears throat> that all that information, uh, that's where you find the competitive pricing. Um, you know, government's different than commercial. You can find pricing, but depending on what you're looking for, you may have to back into it. Dibs, we already talked about, right? You can search any product, uh, any uh, national stock number, what have you, on dibs. And if you find an opportunity, you'll see exactly the last, uh, you know, 12 months of orders and how much the uh, DLA paid for, for those orders. So if you're a product company, that's that's a no-brainer. GSA schedules, right? You, you know, if you're wondering, well, I don't have a GSA schedule. Well, it doesn't matter if you have a schedule or not. In order to have a schedule, you have to negotiate pricing with the government. <clears throat> all that pricing, all those uh, labor categories and, and prices are, are open to the public. And you just have to go to GSA Advantage and look them up. FPDS, that's, you know, Federal Procurement Data System. You got to back into that. Um, you know, there's a reason why FPDS, everything in there is not individual contracts. They're contracts with a whole bunch of contract actions, right? Especially if it's a service contract. Mm-hmm. And you may not be able to tell on the overall contract, you know, this contract is uh, for a call center, but I'm trying to figure out the total cost for the labor not for the hardware, right, or, or, or running the, the call center software, whatever it is. But you may find a, a contract action that refers to that contract within FPDS, 
and it said, hey, renewal of, uh, you know, the, the personnel to, to run the help desk. And if you have an idea of how many folks are on the help desk, you'll look at that, that contract action and go, oh, that's $350,000. Oh, I can back in and figure out exactly what they're paying per quarter or per year for each of those employees. And now I can figure out pretty much what the labor rate is, right? Mm -hmm. um, GSA sales query tool. Uh, again, that helps you identify more so the, uh, the sales that are made on, uh, any given schedule or send. But one of the, one of the really cooler tools, cooler tools that you can use would be Calc or C-A-L-C. <laughs> and if you are tired of going into GSA Advantage and looking up, you know, trying to figure out what companies sell what you sell and opening up their price lists and then looking at their labor categories, you can go to Calc, right? Just you can Google it. And Calc, if you type in the labor cat, it'll pull up every single labor category for every company with a GSA schedule and tell you how much, uh, what's the education level. And so it's a one-stop shop for competitive intelligence. It's awesome. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, you know, just so people know, uh, the tools we've been talking about today are all free. Some of them you don't even need to uh, to sign in and create an account. Some you do, but the ones we've been talking about to look up stuff uh, about GSA Advantage or whether it's FPDS or USA Spending. Uh, Josh mentioned a bunch of different systems today. They're for the most part, all of them are free, so you can go in there, create a free account, and then and then just go wild in there. So, so we are out of time today. I want to you know thank Josh for coming on and hitting us in this in this part one here. We're going to uh, get into part two here real soon, so be on the lookout for that. So I just want to thank everybody who listened in today on this episode. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors. Subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. Recommend the show as well if you liked it. We'd really appreciate that. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program, at federal-access.com forward slash join. When you visit the site today, you'll learn how to get a free copy of the Government Sales Manual with membership. And then be sure to tune in next time for part two of this great series. Until then, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.